I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today we're reading the last four chapters of the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapters 28 through 31. And then we're reading a psalm that goes along with those chapters, Psalm 18. This is the New King James Version of the podcast. The King James Version is also available. In 1 Samuel 28, David makes an offer to the Philistines, verse 1. Now it happened in those days that the Philistines gathered their armies together for war to fight with Israel, and Achish said to David, You assuredly know that you will go out with me to battle, you and your men. So David said to Achish, Surely you know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. David's certainly in a predicament here. King Achish is under the impression that David has been attacking Hebrews in southern Judah back in 1 Samuel chapter 27, verses 1 through 12, when actually he'd been attacking non-Hebrew communities. For that reason, he thinks David is loyal to the Philistines. The Philistine king Achish invites David to participate in his campaign against the Jews. David answers Achish on his invitation to battle with an ambiguous answer. Here's what he says in verse 2. He says, Surely you know what your servant can do. What does that mean? Achish takes this reply to mean that David is saying, I'm in. Well, the rest of the story unfolds in chapter 29. There's a very humorous side to this deceit. King Achish appoints David to be his bodyguard, or as he said in verse 2, therefore I will make you one of my chief guardians forever. Now, the New King James Version does preserve the meaning of that sentence, but the King James Version translates it literally from the Hebrew text as follows. Therefore, will I make thee the keeper of mine head forever. Ah, keep the Philistine's head. Now, David's had some experience with keeping a Philistine's head. Remember, he kept Goliath's head, who was a Philistine, for quite some time back in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Of course, that's after he'd cut it off. In verses 3 through 25, we see that God won't talk to Saul, but a witch will. Verse 3, Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped in Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together, and they encamped in Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night, and he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. 
Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me and does not answer me any more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek, therefore the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground, and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul, and saw that he was severely troubled, and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in my hands, and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you, and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way." But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants together with the woman urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Well, here come the Philistines. What to do? Now, God's not on speaking terms with Saul, so Saul decides to consult a witch. He had to travel to find one because he had expelled them from Israel just like God had commanded in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 31, also in Leviticus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 18. She's in Endor. That's about 12 miles south of the Sea of Galilee, where presumably she felt was far enough away from Judea to be safe. Saul and his men are only about three miles or so from there in Gilboa. We see in verse 10 that she's a little bit hesitant to talk with him, but he gives her an oath that he won't harm her. I wonder if she's familiar with his track record on keeping those oaths. But she assists him anyway, although she claims she had no idea her client was Saul until she went into her trance. Now, this passage is a bit of a stumper for Bible scholars, does this witch actually bring up Samuel to speak with Saul, a witchcraft practice known as necromancy? Or does she just appear to do so? 
verse 14 indicates that Saul himself didn't see Samuel, but just saw the witch. Secondly, is the historical information in verses 17 and 18 that she gives Saul, supposedly coming from Samuel, is it common knowledge? Well, yes, I think it is. However, she didn't give him good prophetic news in verse 19. She actually told him that he would fail against the Philistines, that he and his three boys would die in the effort. Whoa! Now, that happened just as she said it would. Lucky guess? Well, so, did she actually raise Samuel from the dead to speak through her to Saul? The author of the book of Samuel seems to report it as such. The text never suggests that the witch didn't actually communicate with Samuel. There's even a reference to the afterlife in verse 19 when Samuel is quoted as saying, Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. As I said, this passage is a stumper. Now, if you're the kind of person who really needs to get to the bottom of this witch incident, then consider these questions and possibilities that have been tossed around by various Bible scholars for centuries. First of all, was the woman actually able to raise up the righteous dead? If so, would that indicate that Satan has some power over the righteous dead? Secondly, consider this. Was the woman simply creating an illusion? But if so, how do we account for her accuracy in verse 19? And then thirdly, was Samuel's presence authentic or was this a demonic imitator? Now, the text never actually questions the authenticity of Samuel's appearance. And then fourthly, is it possible that God intervened to temporarily raise Samuel himself for this occasion? Now, God could and can certainly do any miracle he chooses, including the manifestation of one who has passed on. As a matter of fact, the transfiguration of Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9, that's such an example of the dead being manifested to the living in the case of Moses and Elijah in the presence of Jesus and the apostles that were with him at the time. Through the centuries, scholars have taken adamant positions that do a disservice to the wording of the actual text in an attempt to make this passage fit nicely into our God paradigm. Therefore, it seems best to not doubt the presentation of facts here and just accept that God can manifest the dead in any way he chooses. Incidentally, 1 Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13 lists Saul's visit to the witch as one of the contributing factors to his death along with his disobedience to God in that sacrificial incident in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Interestingly enough, the witch even refers to Saul's disobedience regarding the king of Amalek in verse 18, going all the way back to 1 Samuel chapter 15. That's the passage where it was declared that Saul's reign would, in fact, end. Now, there's some strong verses regarding the afterlife in verses 13 through 19. If the witch is to be believed here, she saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. We know from other passages that those who died in the Old Testament were held in Hades. I've written an article entitled Paradise Relocated. It's under the topic section of BibleTrack.org. She saw Samuel ascend out of the earth, it says, to speak with her. And then you have the message to Saul in verse 19, which says, Tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. From that, we see that Saul is to dwell in the very same place with Samuel. That, of course, assumes that you accept the word of a witch, per the discussion earlier. In 1 Samuel chapter 29, it's back to the Philistine king Achish. Verse 1, Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, 
and the Israelites encamped by a fountain which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines passed in review by hundreds and by thousands, but David and his men passed in review at the rear with Achish. Then the princes of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the princes of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me these days or these years? And to this day I have found no fault in him since he defected to me. But the princes of the Philistines were angry with him. So the princes of the Philistines said to him, Make this fellow return, that he may go back to the place which you have appointed for him, and do not let him go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become our adversary. For with what could he reconcile himself to his master, if not with the heads of these men? Is this not David, of whom they sang to one another in dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Then Achish called David and said to him, Surely as the Lord lives, you have been upright, and your going out and your coming in with me, and the army is good in my sight. For to this day I have not found evil in you since the day of your coming to me. Nevertheless, the lords do not favor you. Therefore return now and go in peace, that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. So David said to Achish, But what have I done? And to this day what have you found in your servant as long as I have been with you, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord the king? Then Achish answered and said to David, I know that you are as good in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the princes of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now therefore rise early in the morning with your master's servants who have come with you, and as soon as you are up early in the morning and have light, depart. So David and his men rose early to depart in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines, and the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Now it's back to the storyline that was developing in the first two verses of chapter 28. So what would David have done if Achish had called his bluff? He'd already privately but absolutely stated that he would not slay Saul, it's a moot point. The commanders of the army of Achish were suspicious of David's reputation for slaying Philistines, and they would have no participation from David in a campaign against Israel. They were suspicious of David's loyalties. <laughs> Go figure. They recall the Philistine slaying song in verse 5. The Jewish women sang back in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 7, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. David certainly talks like he's ready to rumble there in verse 8, doesn't he? against his own people. But Achish sends him back home, must keep these generals of his happy in the field. We can only conjecture that this is exactly the way David thought this ordeal would in fact unfold. But something bad happens in First Samuel chapter 30. David's wives are captured, verse 1. Now it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, attacked Ziklag and burned it with fire and had taken captive the women and those who were there, from small to great. They did not kill anyone, but carried them away and went their way. So David and his men came to the city, and there it was, burned with fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters had been taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives, Ahanoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite, had been taken captive. Now David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him. 
because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David strengthened himself on the Lord his God. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, Please bring the ephod here to me. And Abiathar brought the ephod to David. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. So David went, he and the six hundred men who were with him, and came to the brook Besor, where those who stayed were left behind. But David pursued he and four hundred men, for two hundred stayed behind, who were so weary that they could not cross the brook Besor. Then they found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate, and they let him drink water. And they gave him a piece of a cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. So when he had eaten, his strength came back to him, for he had eaten no bread nor drunk water for three days and three nights. Then David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? And he said, I am a young man from Egypt, servant of an Amalekite, and my master left me behind, because three days ago I fell sick. We made an invasion of the southern area of the Carathites in the territory which belongs to Judah, and of the southern area of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Can you take me down to this troop? So he said, Swear to me by God that you will neither kill me nor deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this troop. Well, now, battle's a tough business. While David and his army of 600 are out, the Amalekites come and capture the women and children of Ziklag, their city. And that was the city, by the way, that had been allocated to them by King Achish. It's funny how a crowd can turn on you so quickly. The people wanted to stone David for allowing this to happen. And to make things worse, they'd captured David's two wives as well. Everybody sat down and just cried. But after a good cry, David asked the priest to Bithar, to bring him the ephod, that's a sacred vestment originally designed for the high priest back in Exodus chapter 28, verse 4. After going through a little ritual utilizing this ephod to determine God's will, David is assured by God that he can overtake and defeat the Amalekites who had just raided them. Incidentally, the ephod also contained the Urim and the Thummim. These are a little mysterious to us, but they were used from time to time to discern God's will. If you want to know more about that, look at the notes on Exodus chapter 28. On their pursuit, they find one of the Amalekites abandoned Egyptian slaves. He was abandoned because of illness. And they get some inside information on their enemy. In verses 16 to 31, David goes and gets his wives back. Verse 16. And when he had brought him down, there they were spread out all over the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil which they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. Then David attacked them from twilight until the evening of the next day. Not a man of them escaped, except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives. And nothing of theirs was lacking, either small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything which they had taken from them. David recovered all. Then David took all the flocks and herds they had driven before those other livestock and said, This is David's spoil. Now David came to the two hundred men who had been so weary that they could not follow David, whom they also had made to stay at the brook Besor. So they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near the people, he greeted them. 
Then all the wicked and worthless men of those who went with David answered and said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except for every man's wife and children, that they may lead them away and depart. But David said, My brethren, you shall not do so with what the Lord has given us, who has preserved us and delivered into our hand the troop that came against us. For who will heed you in this matter? But as his part is who goes down to the battle, so shall his part be who stays by the supplies. They shall share alike. So it was from that day forward he made it a statue and an ordinance for Israel to this day. Now when David came to Ziklag, he sent some of the spoils to the elders of Judah to his friends, saying, Here is a present for you from the spoil of the enemies of the Lord. To those who were in Bethel, those who were in Ramoth of the south, those who were in Jader, those who were in Aror, those who were in Sifmoth, those who were in Eshtemoah, those who were in Rachal, those who were in the cities of the Jeremelites, those who were in the cities of the Kenites, those who were in Hormah, those who were in Korishan, those who were in Athok, those who were in Hebron, and to all the places where David himself and his men were accustomed to rove. Well, after locating the Amalekites who had raided his town, David and his men cut the Amalekite celebration short and thoroughly rout those Amalekites, get everybody and everything back. Only 400 Amalekites escaped. David had his wives back again and returns to Ziklag, where... David insists that they share the booty with everyone, even those who didn't actually participate in the campaign. As a matter of fact, David made a new statute that day. And here's the statute. People who stay back with the supplies enjoy the distribution of booty, just like those who fight the battle. They learned the hard way that staying back with the supplies, well, that's an important part of not losing your supplies in the first place. We see here that not all of David's soldiers were noble in verse 22 when some of them are referred to here as wicked and worthless men. In verses 26 to 31, David sends part of the spoils taken from the Amalekites to the elders of Judah, thus expressing his gratitude for their help when he roamed through their territory. This gesture might very well serve to gain their support in the future. All places mentioned were situated in the area of Hebron and Beersheba. And then it happens in chapter 31, just as the witch had said, Saul and his sons are killed. Verse 1. Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Geboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua, Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor-bearer, and all his men died together that same day. And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and fled, and the Philistines came and dwelt in them. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain that they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. 
And they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their gods and among the people. Then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashtoreths, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. Then they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Well, meanwhile, back with the Philistines, they find Saul and his sons, overtake them, and kill them, scattering the Israelites in their path. Well, technically, Saul took his own life after being mortally wounded by the archers. They subsequently cut Saul's head off, take his armor back to their temple, and put it on display. And to top it all off, they nail his body to the wall of Bethshan. You may recall that Bethshan is close to the city Jabesh, and that's the city where Saul made his debut as king 40 years earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 11. Well, those folks in Jabesh are still grateful to Saul and covertly conduct a salvage mission in Bethshan, take Saul's body, burn it, and retrieve his bones for burial back in Jabesh. So here's the picture. After 40 years of kingship, Saul is dead along with all of his possible heirs, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. They were the heirs to the throne. I wonder who will be king of Israel now. By the way, Saul never controlled the entire land possession that God gave Israel upon entering the promised land that was promised back in Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. Saul was a warrior king who led the military for his entire reign. It's important to realize here that Saul was anointed king and accepted by the people as their means for defeating the Philistines. It was there in Jabesh-Gilead back in 1 Samuel chapter 11, and that's where he began his mission 40 years earlier. Ironically, Saul's death in this chapter puts Israel back into virtually the same position from which they'd sought deliverance through their appointment of King Saul in the first place. Moreover, his bones end up at the very same place where he launched his first campaign, and that's Jabesh-Gilead. Incidentally, the Amalekite who reports Saul's death to David lies about the circumstances of his death over in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1-16. through 16. We'll look at that on another day. So then we finish off today's reading with a psalm that goes along with today's reading, Psalm 18. The subtitle says it all. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And then it goes on to say, And he said, and then the psalm begins, verse 1, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. In verses 4 through 19, then, David recounts God's deliverance, verse 4. The pangs of death surrounded me, and the floods of ungodliness made me afraid. The sorrows of Sheol surrounded me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord and cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple, and my cry came before him, even to his ears. Then the earth shook and trembled, the foundations of the hills also quaked and were shaken, because he was angry." Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth. Coals were kindled by it. 
He bowed the heavens also, and came down with darkness under his feet. And he rode upon a cherub, and flew. He flew upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his secret place. His canopy around him was dark waters and thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him, his thick clouds passed with hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord thundered from heaven, and the Most High uttered his voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out his arrows and scattered the foe, lightnings in abundance, and he vanquished them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, the foundations of the world were uncovered. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent from above, he took me, he drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me. For they were too strong for me, for they confronted me in the day of my calamity. But the Lord was my support. He also brought me out into a broad place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And then David explains why God delivered him in verses 20 through 30. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me, for I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I also was blameless before him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his sight. With the merciful you will show yourself merciful. With a blameless man you will show yourself blameless. With the pure you will show yourself pure. And with the devious you will show yourself shrewd. For you will save the humble people, but will bring down haughty looks. For you will light my lamp. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. And then David writes more about the victory in verses 31 to 48. For who is God except the Lord, and who is a rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me, so my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and overtaken them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. I have wounded them so that they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also given me the necks of my enemies, so that I destroyed those who hated me. They cried out, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I cast them out like dirt in the streets. You have delivered me from the strivings of the people. You have made me the head of the nations. A people I have not known shall serve me. As soon as they hear of me, they obey me. The foreigners submit to me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man. And then David praises God in verse 49. 
Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles, and sing praises to your name. Great deliverance he gives to his king and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forevermore. Although the introduction to this psalm mentions Saul by name, we see that this is the same prayer of thanksgiving that we read in 2 Samuel chapter 22. This prayer was written by David and used again by David after Absalom had died, with a little help he died, followed by a series of battles against the Philistines and others. Note that David gives complete credit to Jehovah for his victories in these battles against his enemies. It would be difficult for one to take an anti-war position based upon Scripture. Well, actually, that'd be impossible, especially in the light of verse 47, which says, It is God who avenges me and subdues the peoples under me. Also notice that David is completely convinced that his faithfulness to God is the reason why he has prevailed. In verse 50, he acknowledges his anointed position as king. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.